Shauna could see his big, young nose silhouetted in the dimness. His name was Albie Primrose. They sat in silence until the jeep in front began to stutter forward. The rain thickened. "'Sure wish I was going home,' said Albie. "'So do I, son,' agreed Shauna. "'So do I.' "'The quicker we get it over, the better,' ventured Albie. He'd been Shauna's driver ever since he joined the unit from Camp Abbott, Oregon, the Army Engineers' training centre, eight months before. "'The invasion,' he added, as though the commanding officer might think he meant something else. Shauna nodded. "'I'm with you there too, Albie,' he said. "'Just so long as it's not tonight.' The car jerked forward along the tight Devon Road. Albie said, No, sir. I don't think I could handle it tonight. At five past eleven o'clock that night, Private Peter Gilman stood at the end of the jetty at Wilcombe and gazed morosely from his greatcoat, which was turned up like a wall about his neck. A New Year wind was pushing ragged clouds across the channel, and there was a timid and desultory moon. The jetty, old and wooden, had not been repaired since the declaration of war. As he stamped his army boots, he was certainly felt it tremble beneath them. Dull waves, without crests, lumbered in from the open sea. The anti-aircraft gun, which he was guarding, was positioned opposite his post, on the stone dock across the enclosed water of the small port. He was protecting it from the seaward side. In case the Germans came across and stole it, he thought caustically. The sentry on the shore side stood by a white picket gate, like that of a cottage garden, and shuffled off every five minutes to warm himself in the cosy guardhouse. The gun had been established there since 1941, and had not been fired in anger for twenty-one months. The soldiers had settled into a life of not uncomfortable domesticity. In summer there were geraniums around the gate. For several minutes the cloudy moon broke into free sky and shone briskly along the Devon coast. Start Bay was patched with silver, and Gilman, turning half a circle, could see the strong shoulder of Start Point. Almost below his feet, small craft creaked in the comfort of the harbour. Someone opened the door of the pub half a mile away, and he could hear the singing. His relief was not due until midnight. But, to his surprise and pleasure, Catamole appeared, a thick, clumsy figure stumping along the jetty, dragging his rifle and small pack behind him, the rifle butt bumping on the woodwork, the pack pulled like a reluctant dog. "'I reckon one of us might as well have a New Year drink,' he said to Gilman. "'If you slope off now, you'll get there in good time.' Gilman grinned. "'Thanks, pussy,' he said. "'What's Bryant doing?' "'Don't worry about Bryant,' sniffed Catamole. "'He's writing letters to his missus, like he's always doing. "'He's been down a phone box three times to wish her a happy new year.' Three times?' "'Catamole shrugged. "'She ain't at home. "'Once his little kid answered, he told me. "'He had to tell somebody, I suppose. "'Poor bugger gets in a right state.' Ah, she's probably out with some airy bald yank. If you piss off sharp now, 
he won't even notice. Gilman patted Catamole's arm gratefully. I'll bring you back something, he promised. That big land girl, suggested Catamole wistfully. He pulled his solid greatcoat collar up the sides of his head and hung his rifle clumsily across his shoulder. Gilman's boots resounded on the wooden jetty and then on the stone. Catamol snorted at the cold air. He spat experimentally at the sea, and the stiff wind caught the gob and blew it unerringly back onto his nose. Philosophically, he wiped it off with his rough sleeve. He took a swig of scotch from a flask concealed in his left ammunition pouch. Then a second and crossing his arms over his chest, tonelessly, softly, and only just catching the tune.